0: Good morning. If you see all this water up here, you'd probably thank you probably think you're in for a long sermon. So we'll we'll take half the sermon away right here. Uh-huh. Now it is good to be uh, back up here at Faith uh, this morning. I know a lot of you guys helped revivals up here years ago, and got acquainted with several of the churches and several of the people up here, and um, there's a bond that you gain, and I love you guys very much. Um, Certainly appreciated Brother Brown this morning in the Sunday school. I was telling Brother Jeremy when we were sitting back here a while ago, I've I've been trying to do this for, for a long time now. And, uh, one of the, one of the most important things for me is to know that I've got the right message. I I feel like a mailman. I'm just, I've just got a message, but it needs to be the right message. Uh, this week I've been, as Paul said, I've been in a twix between two. Some of you preachers probably know what I'm talking about and, uh, had two different things that was on my mind, between my mind and my heart, and sometimes I, it's hard for me to discern between here and here. And uh, those of you that was at Sunday school this morning is going to know why I've had a struggle. But one of the things that was that was that I was really leaning toward preaching on was the tabernacle and the work of the high priest. Walked in this morning, and guess what Brother Brown was teaching on? The tabernacle and the high priest. And I had already concluded in the motel this morning to go a different, a different direction. So I sat back here and I didn't mean to be distracted from the lesson this morning, but I sat back, back here with my wife thinking, Lord, are you trying to confirm that I need to go a different direction? Uh, but I did also notice it seemed like Brother Brown covered a lot of the territory that I was looking at. I was going to look at, uh, the ordinances and uh, the furnishing of the tabernacle and how that Jesus fulfilled each one of those. Uh, so I'll just maybe leave that one now and push it to the side. So, uh, I do, I do need your prayers this morning. And, uh, I'll just say it this way. I just pray and I, the thing is that God knows the very intents of our heart, doesn't he? And God knows my heart the be- very best of my ability. I like it when I can get up and say God has gave me this message. And this morning I've been in a twix between so- two, so I'm just praying that God would bless His me- this message, and praying that this is the correct message that the Lord wants. So uh, I pray uh, this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, would like to turn with us, we'll go over to to uh, First Kings in the third chapter. Uh This. This particular passage is a a little bit uh, uh, familiar to, to most Bible readers. It's concerning the, the prayer of Solomon when uh, he had a, a huge task that was put upon him, and that was that he would be the king over God's heritage, God's chosen people. And uh, it very much humbled Solomon. Uh, Solomon wasn't like a politician saying, let me do it. Let me do it. But it humbled him very much to think that God had chose him, uh, to be over God's heritage and over his, his people. Uh, today I see, uh, I see a lot of people hurting. I see a lot of the God of this world having effect upon good people. I see us losing a lot of good people. To the temptations of Satan. Paul said one time that he said, There is no temptation that has ever taken man, but such as is common to, to God. And he said, God, who is faithful, has made a way to escape every temptation. And then he goes on and says, Flee from adultery, and flee from idolatry, and flee from fornication. We make choices. No matter how, when we raise our children, we're to give them a good foundation and they need a good raising, but once we've raised our children, they make the choice to serve the Lord or not. The book of Deuteronomy admonishes us to, he says, I have set before thee this day blessings or cursing, life or death. He admonishes us to choose life and to choose the blessings but a lot of times we choose disobedience. And when we do, we'll suffer the chastisement of God. Um, but I see a lot of people hurting today. And I see a lot of people uh, maybe, maybe not intentionally, but maybe fault, just like I do in trying to fix our own problems. The disciples was out in a little boat one time and, they had, they had no doubt They had wrestled in the storm out in the boat. Uh, they had fought with the waves and the sails and tried building water out and everything. Finally, they were fixing to sink. I mean, they got to that point, and they finally, and Jesus was right there. And they said, "Master, carest thou not that we perish?" And he addressed them about their faith, didn't he? He was, here, he was right there all alone. They could have come to him first. But instead they chose to try to fix their own problem. And you and I will do the same thing. Many times we try to fix our own problem. If you're like me, you just a lot of times you just dig yourself in a hole even deeper and deeper until finally you get to the point you say, Lord, what can I do? And that's all he was waiting for is you to say Lord. It's amazing to me. But certainly we do need we need the Lord in everything we do. We have struggles of life, we have battles of life. And, uh, uh, if you think about it in this form, every individual that is lost, that has never been saved is a battle that needs to be won over to the Lord. It's an individual battle to, to win that person over to the Lord. Uh, so I want us to look at, at something that, uh, in this prayer, um, Solomon here, like I said, he realizes that this is too big for him, and I believe this very much humbled Solomon. And uh, I think that's what God likes. You know, I, I found found out that it seemed like the more that I look at God and what he really is, the smaller I feel. And I almost seemed like it to me. It, it's almost like uh, I feel like that I'm a little bit closer to the Lord when I realize how insufficient that I am and how much I really, really need him. Sometimes I don't understand how people get by in life without the Lord. I'm I'm glad that I've got an altar that I can call upon him. and, And my Bible, Paul even says that we have the mind of Christ. Do you know what that really means? It means because we have an altar in our hearts, we have access through prayer to the mind of Christ for my life. I have access to him concerning the things that He desires for me in my life. He has got a purpose for your life. He's got a purpose for your life. And we have access to that, to the mind of Christ, to the will of God for our lives. And that means a lot to me. I think that uh, many times prayer is one of the greatest benefits that comes with salvation that's neglected. That's neglected. Uh, We need to just decorate the heavens with our prayers and just trust that He will he will answer our prayers. But uh what what I'm my verse that I wanted to look at here is in verse seven, we'll get to that, but uh uh our thought this morning is coming and going. Um and that is the thought. That's my thought ain't coming and going, but but that is my thought coming and going. And a lot of times that's where I'm at. Coming and going. But uh uh we'll start in verse five. Uh in Gibeon, um uh, the Lord appeared unto Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and uprighteousness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son, talking about himself, to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of my father, instead of David my father, and I am but a child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant uh, is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore, and this is his prayer, give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad for who is able to judge this so great of a people. And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, And has asked not, has not asked for thyself a long life, neither has asked for riches for thyself, nor has asked for the life of thy enemies, but has asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, and this is the answer to his prayer, behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart. So that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee, and I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked both riches and honor, so that there shall uh, not be any among the kings like unto thee in all of thy days, and if thou wilt walk in my ways and keep my status and my commandments, as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. I want to stop there in that uh, portion of verse and like we said, uh, we look at this as Solomon's prayer to God and we refer to it as uh, 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 the prayer for wisdom, but Solomon uh, he didn't ask for riches, he didn't ask for fame he didn't ask for vengeance upon his enemy, but uh, a prayer of humility uh, he asked God to give him an understanding heart that he would be able to, to do what the Lord had gave him to do. You see, God has always pre-equipped us for every battle that we have in life. He'll never send you into an area, but what he has not already equipped you. Uh, many times the Lord may really stir your heart up, maybe for your neighbor. Or someone that may be lost or living ungodly, and they've got children, and you know that individual, you love them, and you know that individual needs the Lord, but you feel ineloquent, you feel like, well, you know, he's probably drinking today, he won't listen to me. But if the Lord puts a, a a feeling, a compassion toward that individual, and puts a burden upon your heart to go speak to that individual, he will give you the right words to say. He will pre equip us in every Battle that we ever come up on and the, there's many, many battles in life, even the apostle Paul said the things he said that I would not. he said those things I do, the things he said that I would, those things I do not. Paul had that spiritual warfare and and I really believe if you really think about it, uh Paul said in one place he said, uh, I find a law. He said that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Church, when when we are really trying, and, and I'm not talking about out of an obligation, I think that our labor should be a labor of love. I think that we love Him because He first Love does, and I think he should be our first love, and in that we need to have compassion toward one another. We need to be able to see a brother that's fallen and be able to 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 help him in the spirit of meekness and when we do these things, we do that not out of obligation, but we do it out of love and when we do those things, God will honor those things and and uh uh uh, uh when we get ready to have revivals and things, I'm promising you. Satan is going to be there and he's going to do everything within his ability to, to tear down anything that's going to be good, that's going to be edifying to the Lord or glorifying to Jesus. He's, he, he don't want that. And he's going to do everything within, within his ability to do so. But I'm thankful that the Bible also confirms that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, listen to me, individually, you have your spirit, your battles that you go through, church, collectively, you have your battles, and you're fixing to go into an effort meeting, and I pray that it'll be a revival, but listen, Satan, in your life, is just as big as you allow him to be, he says, he's as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, I think over there in the book of uh, Isaiah, I think it's the 14th chapter, talks about when, when he was cast down to the sides of the pit. It said those that looked at him, narrowly looked upon him and said, is this the one? You, and that's what it said. It said they narrowly looked. And they said, you mean this is Satan? You see, he's just as big in your life as you really allow him to be. Sin should no longer have dominion over us. We still have to battle. But sin should no longer have dominion if you have truly been saved because we are freed from the bondage of sin. But now this old flesh is still going to want to sin, but we have to crucify the flesh. And the more that we truly love the Lord and the more that we work for the Lord in a in a labor of love, the more that God will help us and He will strengthen us, you see, in those areas. And we can truly have revivals. People, our churches need revival. Our churches need the power of God manifest back in our services again. We need the atmosphere of spirituality back among God's people. Listen, when it, it, Uh, uh, Many times you say that whenever the Spirit of the Lord starts moving in a congregation and you see some old brother get all teary-eyed and go hug another brother or you see an old sister get up and just shout the praises of God and if God is really in it, lost people that are in amongst that, they will feel that, they will actually desire to have that. I believe that's why in the book of Ezra it said that it is the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And you know, the only place, church, you're going to find joy is in the will of God. Not in the flesh. Yes, you can go out here and enjoy pleasures of of sin. You can. But the Bible says it's for a a season. And then there is a payday. There is a consequence for sin. But there is a blessing for good, righteous living. But he asked for... He asked for wisdom that he might be able to to, to discern good judgment among the people, and uh, in his prayer of humility, he said, "He said, God, he said, he said, I'm I'm just a child." He said basically what he was saying. He said, "I'm not like my father." He said, "I'm not Dad. I'm not David. I'm not Dad." I, uh, and and I want I want you to, to first of all, I want to point out this when he said, "I am as a child." Uh Solomon at this point was not actually a child. This was a prayer of humility. If you back up and if you trace the scriptures, you'll find out Solomon at this point already had a little baby. Do you know that? If you read over in, uh, I think it's First uh, Kings 14 and 21, I believe it is. uh, It told over there at the end of Solomon's reign, Solomon reigned for 40 years, okay? At the end of Solomon's 40-year reign, it said that his son Rehoboam at the age of 41 years began his reign. So Rehoboam was Solomon's son and he was 41 years old when Rehoboam began to reign at the end of Solomon's 40. So that tells us that when Solomon prayed this prayer, when God selected him uh, to be, be on the throne, that he already had a little baby by the name of Rehoboam. So, and what, what it all boils down to, the purpose I'm getting across is he wasn't a child, but he felt, he felt the humility. He felt the, the insufficiency as just a little child. He realized he had to have God. And that's what he prayed for. Every one of us should be able to pray that prayer. We need the, the childlike faith. Whenever I was a little bitty boy, I never one time wondered, if mama was going to have something on the table. I never wondered if if I was going to have any clothes to wear to school. Never had to wonder, even wonder about those things because I had the childlike faith that mom and daddy was going to provide. And God's children today still need that childlike faith to know that he is the provider of all things and he will provide our necessities and provide our needs. But But he was saying, he said, Lord, I don't even know how to come in and go out. And I want you to know that over, over here in, uh, in the book of, uh, uh, Deuteronomy, and I think it is verse, uh, it's chapter 27, just one verse, chapter 27 and verse six, he said, blessed shall thou be when thou comest in and blessed shall thou be when thou goest out. I want you to, I want to get across that when Solomon was talking about that, I don't even know how to go out or to come in. He even got that backwards. There was a lot more to it than just, I don't know how to get in out of the rain. Uh, if you remember, if you remember over in the 27th chapter, uh, of the book of Numbers, over there, God, uh, Moses had taken a man by the, uh, Moses had taken and he had led the children of Israel out of the Egyptian bondage and he led them all through the wilderness for 40 years. We know that Moses had done something that was displeasing to the Lord. And whenever it come time for Moses now to carry the children over the Jordan, over into Canaan, God told Moses, he said, you go up on this certain mountain and you look out over the over the promised land. You look out over Canaan. And uh, he told him, he said, after you see it, he said, Moses, then you're going to be gathered unto your people. In other words, your time of departure is at hand. If I had been Moses... I guess right there, Brother Brown, I would have said, Lord, I've the burden of these, of these people for 40 years. I mean, uh, I, I chose to suffer with them than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a second. I bear the burden. Lord, let, let me just go, let me carry them on over. But you, you know what Moses realized? Moses knew this was not about him. And that's something each one of us need to understand. Worship is not about us. It's not about us. It's not about the church. It's about Jesus. It's about Him. People, it all has to be about Him. But Moses knew it wasn't about Him. So, so what Moses did when God revealed to him, Moses, your time of departure is at hand. You know what Moses prayed? He said, well, Lord, he said, if so, then, he said, then send a man to guide them. Send a man that will go out. And to teach them and going out and teach them and coming in that they would not be as a flock without a shepherd. That was what his concern was that God would send somebody to take his place that would go out before them and that would come in before them. Moses did not choose Joshua. The Lord did. The Lord did. Same way as the church does it needs to choose the pastor. The Lord chooses the pastor. Puts it upon the church's heart. And then the Lord is the one that chooses the pastor. But God chose Joshua. And you know what the Bible says when you go on down and read that 27th chapter, it said, it said that at his word, whose word? At Joshua's. At his word that the people would come in and at his word the people would go out. So what I want us to look at is I want us to put some emphasis upon what What, uh, what was really going on in the prayer there, uh, that Solomon was making when he said, I don't know how to go out and come in. I want you, I want to look at an example that he had before him, uh, by his father David, because you notice he even said, he said, I'm not like my father, uh, in knowing how to, to come in and to go out. But, and I'll try not to be lengthy here, but if you would turn, turn over to first, first Chronicles in the 14th chapter. First Chronicles in 14th chapter, uh, David was known to be, other than Jesus himself, was known to be the best king, uh, that Israel ever had. Not only was he a good king, you know what else? He was a good dad. He was a godly man. Whenever you read over there, whenever that, uh, that God moved up on Solomon's heart to build the temple, David, his dad, I could just see David, he, just, he gathered him up and he told him, he said, son, he said, you serve thy God with a perfect heart and a willing mind. That's pretty good instruction still for today, isn't it? We need to serve God not only with a purified heart, but with a willing mind. And he told him, he because he, see Solomon seen this as a massive work, and it was. And he said, be of good courage, son, be of good courage and do it. God will never put more on us than what we can bear. God is reserved to do the big work. We just do the little things. But certainly we should be willing to tote our portion of the cross if Jesus toted what he toted all the way to Golgotha. But I want you to see what David done here. And this was an example unto his son. In this in this uh, uh, 14th chapter, uh, first Chronicles, we're, we're gonna hear, start at verse, verse nine. And this was when David was the king. And, uh, at this time, uh, no doubt you, 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 sort of have to, you sort of have to put yourself back in, in these shoes a little bit. But at this time, this was the time of the battle of the kings and David had gone out to battle. Well, when he did, he left his little boy Solomon at home, didn't he? Solomon and his wife Bersheba, uh, David's wife Bersheba, they were at home. And, and I wanna, I want you to just think about this for a minute. Some of you here has probably been in the military. And how many times, no doubt, has, has children seen their dad go out the door, get on an airplane, and head off over to Afghanistan for three years or something, and just in their mind wonder, would dad come back home? Do you, do you not think that Solomon maybe had some of those same thoughts while Solomon was left at home, him and his mama Bathsheba, and he would say, he would see his dad gearing up and putting on his armor knowing it was a time of battle for the kings and he would watch his dad go out that door and shut the door going out to fight the Philistines and no doubt how many times Solomon speculation but how many times Solomon didn't think God will dad come back will dad be back and lo and behold after the battle here come David back every single time I believe that, that Solomon had a huge and a massive respect for his dad because the thing is, he didn't merely see dad, his dad go out into the battle, but what he witnessed, he witnessed his dad first come into the presence of God and then go out into the battle. That, church, is the key point to it all. Before we instigate into the battle or spiritual battle, you better first come in to the presence of God. He is our great counselor. He is our strength. And I'll tell you one thing, you try to to fix your problems on your own, you'll get in so deep you'll never get out. But God can take all the broken pieces that we mess up and he can put it back together. He takes pleasure in doing that. He literally takes pleasure and doing that, I want you to notice just a this is just one or two of the little battles that David was in, and like I said, we all have our own battles, and then collectively as a church, we have our battle. If you think of a, a about an effort meeting, an effort meeting is a is a spiritual battle. We're trying to win people to Jesus, trying to get them saved. He said that verse nine said, and the Philistines." Uh, came and they spread themselves in the valley uh, of Rephaim, and and I want you to notice the very first thing. Now the Philistines have come and they spread themselves. See, they, they come upon, they've come up on, they've come up on the children of God. They come up on David and them, and they come for battle. They spread their, they spread themselves. I want you to notice the very, very first thing. What, what would be the first thing you'd do? You'd draw your gun or draw your sword. Notice the very first thing David did. And David inquired of God. He came in. Amen. He came in before he went into the battle. He inquired of God saying, talking to God, shall I go up against the Philistines and will thou deliver them into my hands? He asked God those two questions before he even lifted a sword. And the Lord said unto him, Go up, for I will deliver them into thy hands. When he prayed that prayer, and God confirmed, you go, and I will be with you. I will deliver them into your hands. He went in full assurance, because God has never led us astray. God is always true, and he He will complete every task that He that that uh, He puts upon us. But He told him to go. So verse eleven so uh so they came up by per, per, uh Bel and David smote them there. then David said, "God has broken in upon my enemies by my hand, like the breaking forth of waters, therefore they called the name of that place Bel so in that particular battle, the important key to it all is before he lifted a sword and before you start into your battle, before you start into revival or before you uh, take on, you may have an issue at home. You may have an issue at work. It's always good to go to the Lord and ask for direction. I mean, he's, he's like the commander in chief in this battle. You know, if you put on the whole armor of God, and you're not praying without ceasing, and you don't go to the commander in chief, you'll find yourself just fighting with each other. Maybe every every local assembly is sort of like a little platoon. You know, you got here here got Southside, got Craighead Missionary Baptist down there in Jamaica. We got little churches scattered off now in Gaza, in Gaza hilltop down there. You see, you see, and, but, but the thing is, we all pack and carry the same cross. We all have to work together. And God has got a purpose for this little church. God's got a purpose for this upcoming meeting that can be a revival. It's not necessarily a revival. It's an effort meeting. And the only way it will be a revival is through an effort. And that effort has got to be an effort of love. You've got to have a compassion. Jesus, we're to be Christ-like. Everything that Jesus done, he done out of compassion, did he not? I think that certainly we need to, we need to have that type of compassion. But David, he won that little battle. And you'll find out just right after that, that a lot of the Philistines, they escaped and they run off. And you know what happened just right after this? The, the, those Philistines that escaped, they gathered themselves back together again. And, uh, I want you to watch what happens. Um, verse 12, uh, or verse 13. And the Philistines yet again spread themselves abroad in the valley. Well, now David has already got permission in the first battle, doesn't he? God's already said, "You go, you go ahead." But here's the thing about it: this is a different battle. Yes, it was just a few days afterwards. It's still with the Philistines. We're still fighting with the Satan. Uh, this service today is a different service than last week. This upcoming meeting. That you're going to have, you, you might say. Well, boy, we had a good revival last year. We had a, we got the right helper. Let's get him again. It don't work that way. It may work that way, but the thing is, it's an entire different battle, and that's what David had recognized. David didn't just say, "Well, you, you know, you didn't tell me once." But see, this is a different battle. So, verse 13, the Philistines yet uh, uh, spread themselves in the valley. Therefore, David, what again? He requ- inquired of the Lord. Now listen to what David tells him this time. And God said unto him, Go not up after them, but turn away from them, and come up on them over against the mulberry trees. And it shall be when thou shalt hear the sound of the goings and the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt go out unto the battle, for God is gone out before thee to smite the host uh, of the Philistines. God had an entire different strategy for, the, for this second battle with the same people. It was still the Philistines. And, and, and the Philistines is the one that had defiled the land and God was taking it from them and giving it to his people. But now then on this time, just a few days later, God has got a different strategy. He said, no, you don't go, don't go up on them head on. But what did he tell them? He said, go around and bring your army over here unto the mulberry thicket. And and apparently David knew exactly apparently where that mulberry thicket was. But he said, you stay there and basically you tarry there at the mulberry thicket. You stay there until, he said, when you hear the rushing wind, and that's basically what he said, he said, when you start feeling, you start seeing the wind up in the mulberry trees. He said, then you can know that I have gone before thee. And he said, now you go. Sometimes we have to be still to know that God is real. Sometimes it's just as important in our revivals and in our in our services, sometimes it's just as important to be still if the Lord is not moving us as it is to move when he does move us. One can cause as much damage as I seem I, I've been guilty of it. I've been guilty of having good uh good uh spiritual services and just want to get involved and try to get up and do something and all I need to do is just sit down and wilt. Because what happens? It'll kill a service. It will. It will. It's important. You know you know whenever they whenever they were in the wilderness and they were just fixing a cross over them, and, uh, I think some of you may be following me on this, but, but, uh, see so the congregation, they always camped around that tabernacle. And what, it, what every, every, twi- every tribe was responsible for, they was responsible to keep their eyes upon that tabernacle in the camp. And when they saw the Levitical tribe start taking down and disassembling the tabernacle, and when they saw them take the staffs and run through the Ark of the Covenant to pick up the Ark of the Covenant to move, That was when the congregation of the Lord was to move. Every one of those tribes was responsible to keep their eyes focused upon the Ark of the Covenant. That when the Covenant was still, they stood still. When the Covenant moved, they moved. Is that not what today that we still believe? That Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, was not God, but it represented the presence of God. We are to be sensitive church to the true and the genuine spirit of God. And when God moves, that we are to move. When God does not move us, even though maybe he's moving someone else, if he doesn't move me, I just need to stand still. Even in a battle, in a physical battle, you can get in somebody's way. It's important that we count. Where God kept us, God places the members in the body where it's pleasing to Him. It's important that whenever you guys come in next week, I think it is, and come in for the the purpose of an effort meeting, that every one of you are kept where you need to be. Where are you kept at this week? Some of them over there, they they were wanting to go back to Egypt, weren't they? How many of them, it said that they remembered the melons? That's what it said. God was sending down angel food and sending water. And yet it said they remember the metal. And someone wanted to go back to Egypt. Ain't that the way Satan would do? Church, you look at these little babies. You look at these kids. You tell me where, where you can turn back. You tell me when you can just quit going to church and go back to your bath fishing on Sunday instead of going to church. Keep your priorities right. There's no place to quit. These children is banking up on us. Hold it on. They forgot about back in Egypt about the bondage. They forgot about the taskmasters. They forgot about the beatings. And more than that, they forgot that if they go back to Egypt, they're taking their children back into bondage. Our young generation my friend, we are dealing them a bad hand. And you may not like me saying this, but I believe that my generation has let down the younger generation. We've, we've laid down the cross. And church, we need to pick it back up. There's a battle that needs to be battled. And if one lets down, it puts more pressure on the other. David looked out one time. And when he said, he said, is there not a cause? And I'm telling you, when you look around at these little babies, how can you tell me that there is not a cause for us to hang on to the Lord? We have to, we have to come into the presence of God before we go out into the battle. I don't want to get into Hezekiah, but. Hezekiah was known to been about the third best king that Israel ever had. He was king over Judea after the divided kingdom. Known to be about the third best, and I think Josiah was supposed to be about one of the best kings, along with David. But Hezekiah, whenever it come time for him to be become king, he, he was sort of dealt to a bad hand. Uh his father was an evil king and a lot of bad things going on, worshiping the Baal and things, and Hezekiah, he said this, he said that this day, he said, is a day of blaspheme. He said it's a day of reproach. He said for the children are come forth to the birth and there is not strength to bring forth. I want you to look at that as today. Where is the power of conviction once again in our churches? Where is the power? We, we, we want our, we want our government and our nation to repent. We want our lost people to repent. I'm telling you, the Bible concludes that judgment must first begin at the house of God. If you want this government in our land to change, if you want children to repent, then it starts with God's people. They need to see humility about God's people. They need to see us on these altars. You expect lost people to go to the altar? That altar, I'll tell you the truth, that my memory of the little boy, that that altar to me, there ain't a bit of virtue about that at all. It's just a good place. We're not necessarily inviting lost people to the altar, we're inviting them to Jesus. But that right there, to me, when I was a little boy, it was a monster. Boy, it was a, it was a monster. And I wonder a lot of times, I thought, well, maybe if I'd have seen the old saints on that altar a little bit more, it'd have been a little bit easier for me to go. God's people needs to use that altar. I'm telling you, we're in trouble. I'm telling you, I believe with all of my heart that there are darker days that are coming and that God, sometimes if we're not willing to trim our wick and to shatter our light the way we're supposed to, you know what he'll do? He'll let things around us turn darker so that our light will be brighter. I heard Brother Jerry Reynolds say something one time and I've never heard that man just speak anything of vanity. I literally had goosebumps and it was many years ago. But he said, if it takes the fall of this nation, Brother Broner, to bring, uh, to bring, uh, uh, repentance back into our churches, he said, so be it. So be it. My friend, that don't have to happen. It don't have to happen. But whatever it takes to bring humility and to bring true repentance back into our churches, then so be it. It's important. These little babies, you know what? They didn't, they didn't choose to come into this world. We chose to bring them into this world. And it's our responsibility to see to it that we get them to the Lord. Our responsibility. We brought them into this world and certainly it's our responsibility that we make sure they get to the Lord. But Hezekiah, when he, when he said that, the Israeli king had come up on him. The Israeli king had, had already taken Samaria had already, had already taken the, other ten tribes. You know, God, God spared, uh, Judea. He, he spared those two tribes as a remnant and, and the Assyrian king had done took all them. He done, and the Assyrian king done took all the neighboring countries. And now then the, this, this king, he see the king when he come up on Jerusalem and Hezekiah was in Jerusalem. He didn't want to go in and destroy Jerusalem. No sir, it had too much gold and silver and all that. He didn't want to destroy it. So he sent a warning to Hezekiah. To, to surrender. See, all, most of, surrender uh, Samaritans and those, they just surrendered because they knew they had no hope. But whenever, whenever that, the warning come to Hezekiah that he was to surrender, you know what his response to that king was? He said, I have strength and counsel for war. I could just see that old Australian king. He's camped all the way around Jerusalem. Done taken all the other nations. None took the other tribes. Little old King Hezekiah sitting right here in Jerusalem. You're telling me you got strength and counsel for war? I done took you, brethren. I've done took the Samaritans. I've done took all these others. What makes you think that God is going to deliver you? Hezekiah stood with the Lord. He helped on. He trembled. He was afraid. And I'm not telling you life uh, 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 battles is easy hanging on the Lord, but I'm telling you it's worth hanging on to. He helped on. So just like the old devil, the king the king of, uh, of Israel is what he done since he couldn't get through Hezekiah, he sent a message unto the people in Jerusalem. And he told them, he said, don't y'all listen to Hezekiah. He's fixing to get you slaughtered. He said, if you'll just listen to me, he said, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll take you and I'll I'll provide for you. Nothing but a bald-faced lie. And the good part was the people, the Bible says uttered not a word. They answered him not a word. You say they stuck with Hezekiah. And boy, it's good when you can see a church and a pastor work together. You say you depend upon your pastor to stand up here, you depend upon him to seek out the messages that the Lord gives him. You depend upon him to to pray and to meditate, and, and no telling how many hours goes into a little old thirty-minute sermon. You depend upon he's he's responsible for that, but you're responsible when he lays it in your lap. He can stand up here and and preach you the truth and pour his heart out to you. You can, Amen, it agree with it and leave it at the door. Monday morning, somebody said, what did your pastor preach on? Man, he done an awesome job. What did he preach on? He plowed the plow. What did he preach on? He, I don't remember, but he done good. His responsibility is laying in your lap. Now, what are you going to do with it? Boy, I tell you what, when you got a pastor that'll preach you the truth and a congregation that'll get behind him and, and use it, he, Bible, doesn't the Bible say something about not being just a hearer? Uh, what did James say? Something about need to be a doer of the word? Boy, when you exercise that and you exercise your faith, things can happen. But oh, Hezekiah and, and that, and all of those in Jerusalem, they were afraid. I mean, boy, it looked, it looked bad. And sometimes the, the situations in your battles you may get in, it may look like there, there's no way out of this. Somebody's going to get hurt. I've, I've done this, I've done that, and I've got myself in such a pickle. My family's going to get hurt. There's no way well there. It's amazing how God can't fix our broken pieces. But old Hezekiah and them, they shook it through. And finally, finally, Hezekiah, they, they sent, a, they sent a, a note. They sent a note in there and Hezekiah, a warning. Hezekiah, he read that warning from, from the enemy. And when he read it, you know what the Bible says he done with it? It says he took it before the Lord and he spread it before God. You say he come into the presence of God. He took the battle. He, he took the warning from the enemy and he spread it before God. And God assured him that not one arrow would be shot into Jerusalem. And I don't want to get into the whole long story up of it, but that old king of the Seraeans, he ended up having to go back to Nineveh. And when he did, one of his own sons shot him. I believe it was with an arrow. Killed him. Not one arrow was ever shot. He helped on people. And I'm telling you, it's worth hanging on for the sake, you see, of these, of these children. Come in to the presence of God before you go out. And, and I think if I'm not wrong, isn't that the, about the way that the commission was also given to the church? You know, Jesus first told them to go into the lost sheep of Israel. And then, and then you remember when he told them, uh, to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature? But before that, Did he not first tell them something else? Did he not tell them first to come in? I think he told them, because they was there at Pentecost, or there at Passover, he said, you tarry, talking to the church, he said, you tarry at Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And so they had to tarry there at Jerusalem about 10 more days until uh, Pentecost and there God endued them with power from on high and then the great commission was now you go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Church, that will work. That will work. Moses learned some hard lessons just like you and I. Moses, he tried to get in front of the Lord one time, didn't he? I think he killed a, a couple of Egyptian soldiers, you know, thinking that was of God and it wasn't. It costed him a lot of trouble. It cost him about 40 years of hardship. Sometimes you and I get in front of the Lord, but I'm telling you, God can fix it. But first come into the presence of God before you go into battle. I'll close with this scripture and I'm going to read this one to you because this, this is the script. This, it's amazing to me sometimes that, that Bible, I said it, I said it's about like a, I feel sometimes like a kid going into a candy store. Sometimes it, boy, I mean, you just find things in there and you just want to find more and more. And, but this one scripture right here, one time I read it and it puzzled me to a point I thought, Lord, what are you saying right here? And, and, uh, but let me read this scripture over in Ezekiel in the 40, 46 chapter and then we're going to, we're going to close. But Ezekiel 46 and, and verse nine. This was the scripture that, 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 Led me to 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 this this prayer of Solomon, as far as coming in and going out, and I, I promise you, it took me a long time to get there. But forty-six and verse nine. This was whenever that they would come in for worship uh, there in the in the temple concerning the feasts, and he said, "But when the people of the land shall come in, come in. There's you coming in first, before the Lord in the solemn feasts, he that entereth in by the way of the north gate to worship shall go out by the way of the south gate, and he that entereth the way of the south gate shall go forth by the way of the north, he shall not return by the way of the gate whereby that he came, but he shall uh, so I get what what I want you to what I want you to notice. This is what got this is what got my attention. I thought, God, what you know, you, you're tell, you're saying whenever they come in to, for the for the worship of the tabernacle of the of the temple, when they come in from the north, why does He want them to go out the south? And those that would come in from the south, He said they was to always go out the north. He said they was to never go out the same way that they come in. And I, I thought. Lord, I knew there's something to do this. I thought, what are you orchestrating? What? I, you know, I, I just couldn't get it. It was one of them that just went to bed with me. But you know what it all boils down to? Do you know what true worship is? When you truly worship, and I'm talking about true worship, you know what happens? You're going to come into the presence of God. you remember Moses? Whenever he come into the presence of God, his face shone to where they couldn't even look up on him? What this is saying is, is when we come in to the presence of God, when we come in for worship, we will never, if we truly worship, if we hit the mark, we will never be able to leave the same way we came in. That's what he meant. If you come in, listen, if you come in humble, if you had a rough week and you, you've got a heavy burden for things and you come in humble and you come into the service, I promise you that when you pray and you truly, truly get in touch and you really worship God, you can walk out being edified. He said, humble yourself, church, in the sight of the Lord, and then what? The Lord will lift you up. But if you come in back here strutting, having your mind, yeah, I remember having that guy had car trouble I give, uh, I give us old fella $50 this past week. I've done, I've done pretty good this week. Done pretty good this week. Come in, you sit down, you think, well, pastor, let them have it. Let them have you. You sort of lifted yourself up. you feeling pretty good. I've done, done this and that this week. Folks, we're to never be satisfied in what we do for the Lord. We can always be satisfied with what He done for us, but we should never be satisfied with what we do for the Lord. But you know those times that we come in exalted, and we're truly exalted. If you ain't careful, you'll find yourself walking out with your head down. You'll if you truly worship, you'll never you'll never leave the same way that you come in. I heard this told about a young preacher, and told to be in the truth. I I don't know it to be, but it sure makes sense. But they said um, they said this little young preacher one time hadn't been preaching very long and said he was real able and doing real good. And said he got to where he had a little bit of a big head. And boy, there's been times I just felt like I was doing good and God just had to pull the rug out from under me. You know, those, I, those are things you remember. But said a little young preacher, he said he was all dressed up real nice and shoulders back, just, just come in, just ready to go. And said the, the old pastor got up and introduced him and everything and done his preliminary and turned it over to him. Said he got up, got ready to, to pray. Said he read off his verses. And said he couldn't get any thoughts. He couldn't get a train of thoughts on where he was going and, and said he just stumbled around and said finally he just closed his Bible and then he sat back down over here and they said the whole service he'd sit there with his head down. Said the pastor tried to sort of scotch him up a little bit, you know, with some words and dismissed. But they said at the end of the service, said the, the pastor, uh, followed him out the door and told him, said, said young man, said, said if you had a, if you had a came up into that pulpit, <laughs> Uh, the way that you went out, then you could have went out the way you come in. God wants us to walk in the spirit of humility, humbleness. God will bless that. And I've heard young preachers say, "Well, boy, I want I want to be bold." Humility will produce boldness when it's needed. Humility will. You can't build up on pride and boldness. You build up on humility. So, church, I admonish you. You want to have a revival? You want this ever meaning to turn into revival? Come into the presence of God before you go out into the battle. In your daily life, the things that you've got going on in your life, the things that may be a hindrance, take them things to the Lord. Take them, take them to the Lord. You'll be amazed what a what a prayer can do. Have you ever found yourself envious or jealous of your neighbors? I hell. I can't lie about it. Have you ever seen your neighbors maybe, maybe pull out on a Sunday morning. Here You're wrestling, trying to get your children to church and trying to encourage them. Well, honey, we need to go to church now. And then your kids, your your neighbor over here with a $50,000 boat and a $75,000 truck and his kids loaded up, going to the lake. His kids are all happy going to the lake on Sunday. I ain't nothing against going to the lake. I'm just talking about priorities. I'm talking about priorities. And you're struggling because you know your children need to be in the house of the Lord. And you want to try to encourage them that And then you get ready to go and maybe even have a flat tire. You get so frustrated. And then after church, you come back in. You've got to fix that tire. Your kids are upset with you and all that. And then here comes your neighbor in that night. Boy, they've had the biggest old time in the world. You ever been there somewhat? I read about a man that felt that way one time until he come into the presence of God. ASAP. 73rd Division of Psalms. He said that he was envious of the prosperity of the wicked until he entered into the sanctuary. He said then he understood their end. And you know what happened? He went from this envious to all at once he had compassion because he realizes now that family is without God. And, and so his envious of them, his jealousy of them changed over a prayer overcoming into the presence of God. One time, it went from envious to compassion because now he realizes their end is destruction. That's what a prayer can do. That's what the presence of God can do, folks. There is still power in prayer. There really is. And if you want to have revival, it'll start with coming into the presence of God. It'll start with prayer. And I'm telling you what, the commander-in-chief, he's still on that throne. He's still the high priest, ain't he? He's still the high priest. He's still just listening for the groanings of his people that he can deliver. He takes pleasure in opening the windows of heaven and pouring out on his church. He would take pleasure in just pouring out blessings that that you won't even begin to imagine. When Solomon prayed that prayer, he didn't just get a heart of wisdom. God gave him riches and everything else. God said he'll give us life and give it to us even more abundantly. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to enjoy life. And true happiness is found in the will of God. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. I tell you what, you can make a million dollars, and in two months, I promise you, you're trying to trying to find a way to make another million. But He can take minimum wage if that's where He wants you flipping a burger at McDonald's. If that's where He wants you, He can stretch that ten dollars, and He can come. He can make you so contented and happy. Kyle Reed back at home. I've never seen a man so happy in my life. Uh, he was he was always on the road. On the road. He's, a, he's a, one of our preachers. Always on the road. He couldn't be home with his family. Made big money out on the road. Big money. But he, but he never was with his family and he couldn't, he couldn't get his preaching appointments well. So he quit that job and you know what? The job that he got? Hauling trash for the city of Lafayette. And I've never heard a man brag so much about his job in my life. He loves hauling trash. He makes about 10 or 11 dollars an hour, but he's happy. The will of God. That big old hurricane that brews down yonder causes all kind of troubles and storms all around. There's a little spot in the middle of it that's called the eye of the storm. My friend, listen, in that there is calmness. The storms are brewing, but there's calmness in the midst of it. The middle, the will of God, there's calmness. The storms will still brew. But I tell you what, them old mountains, they'll just, they'll just sort of start disintegrating. They'll just become a little old molehill. Or He gives us the grace to get over it. It's much easier. Life is much better in the will of God. So appreciate your attention today. I don't know the hearts of anyone. I admonish you if you're here and you have never truly been saved, I admonish you to seek the Lord. You need to be saved more than you need anything else that this life can ever offer you. Jesus desires for you to be saved. So you need to be saved. In church, I hope and I pray, that I hear of good news afar of off. I hear, I hope that I'm down there in Tennessee and I hear about, about a lot of people getting saved. And it can happen. It can happen.